0: Here on Graceful Truth, over the last few weeks, we have spent time in Romans chapter 8, taking a look at the assurance of salvation you and I, as believers in Christ, can have. Above and beyond that, the Apostle Paul says there's more. We're not only secure in our salvation, but we're heirs with Christ. We'll talk about that today. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean? Have you ever stopped to consider that you and I are heirs with Christ? That we have everything pertaining to life and godliness, not only in this life, but the one to come? That is where we find ourselves as we continue examining Romans chapter 8. Join us, won't you? From Graceful Truth and Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Here's Pastor Steve. You can turn
1: over your your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Well, I just want to read our text for this morning. Romans chapter 8. And I want to begin in in verse uh, 14 down to verse 17. We're just going to be looking pretty much at verse 17 today. For all who are led by the Spirit... Of God, are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, look at what it says, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with him if I asked you this morning after the service came up to you and I said hey I got some information this last week somebody called the church and they gave me your name and they said you are heir to an estate and they wanted me to contact you and let you know probably the first thing that would pop into your head maybe the second but probably the first is well, huh, wonder what I'm heir to <laughs> right um, you might not even care who the person is but if they got some stuff and they want to give it to you, you're probably thinking, oh, this could be a good deal. You probably want to know what you're going to inherit. You, you, know, you want to know what, what you're going to be getting. Well, we have an inheritance to come as believers. And so we start from the truth that most of our rewards are in the future. That's so important to understand as a Christian. Most of what we are going to get is in the future. I mean, yeah, he saves us from our sin, that past, present, future. I get that. He gives us the power of the Spirit to live this life. But a lot of the blessings that we're going to receive as Christians has to do with future blessings. So what blessings does our inheritance consist of? What we believers actually possess in heaven should be of interest to you. You know, we sang a song this morning. Whom have I, what? In heaven, but you. Okay? There are a number of things that... You might consider lesser things, and then there's really one of the greatest things of all. The first thing, the heavenly home. The first thing that comes to mind in the promise of the heavenly home is that Jesus made a promise to his disciples just before his arrest and his crucifixion. And he said in John fourteen one to 3, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms if it were not so I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am I don't know about you but that should cause a little bit of excitement in your heart if you're a believer here this morning that Jesus himself is preparing a place for you I mean that's that's pretty incredible the gentleman across the street from us Um, are rebuilding their house. And it's kind of exciting. You know, you see them tear the old house down and now they're rebuilding this bigger house. And every day you see different structures going up, different walls going up, electricians and plumbers and all kinds of contractors going there. There's an excitement in having someone prepare something for you. Well, Jesus is preparing a place for us. And this is a place prepared especially for all believers all of us will have a place in heaven if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior if we've trusted in Christ and his work on Calvary and it's guaranteed by no less authority than Jesus the Lord himself he says I make this personal promise to you if you're one of my disciples if you come after me you trust in me not in your own works not in your church affiliation but you trust in what the work I have done for you then you will have a place in heaven one day. What's it going to be like? I mean, the Bible talks a lot about heaven, but it leaves a lot of mysteries about heaven there too. Uh, it should be a, a pretty neat place, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I trust you are too. Amen. Amen? Well, secondly, not only just a heavenly home, but also a heavenly banquet. I mean, who doesn't like food, right? I mean, come on. In several parables, the Lord spoke of this heavenly banquet to which we're invited as His guests. In one story he told of a great wedding supper into which many were invited who later refused to come. And how the master sent to unexpected places to find guests. Turn over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. And these were parables that Jesus used to teach spiritual truth. And it says there in verse one of Matthew 22 and again Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent the his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come again he sent other servants saying tell those who are invited see I have prepared my dinner my oxen my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and they went off. One to his farm, another to his business. What was their problem? Their priorities were wrong, right? They had a problem with priorities. A lot of us today, we have a problem with priorities. We fail to see the significance of certain spiritual exercises in our own life and Pretty soon, life crowds them out completely because we're busy with our family or our children or our businesses or whatever it might be. Anything other than God would be the wrong answer. It doesn't matter how noble it might be. And he goes on there and he says, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. So they basically took it out on the messengers, the ones who were inviting them. The king was angry And he sent his troops to destroy those martyred and burned their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. Look at what it says, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are what? Chosen. There's a banquet that's going to happen. And we're invited to it. And in the Bible times, they did this a lot. When they had something to celebrate, they would have food. We do it today in our churches. When we have anything, there's usually food there. That's just the way it works. And so these stories of these parables of this wedding feast really present our inheritance as a joy and a secure fellowship. Those who are chosen are going to be there. Nobody's going to be able to slip in under God's radar um, at the last moment or something like that. And there's only one door to that banquet, and that's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have to be reminded of that. You have this banquet. Thirdly, you also have something that's pretty unique. We're going to rule with Christ. Another feature of our inheritance is that we will rule with Jesus in his kingdom um, there's some difference among Bible scholars as to whether this refers to the earthly rule of, of, of with Christ, some present age, whatever. But I don't want to get into the, the weeds here. I, I believe literally in what it says. But the thing you need to understand, there's no doubt that some important authority is going to happen. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul told Timothy, if we endure, we will also what? Reign with him, it says. In 212. We will reign with him. I mean, can you imagine that? Reigning with Christ? Ruling with Christ? What, what an incredible thing one day. And so we see that this is something that is promised to us. In one of his parables, over in, in the Gospel of Luke 19, Jesus spoke of his of servants in, his, in the parable. He spoke of of servants who had shown their faithfulness during their master's absence. And look at this in verse 11, Luke 19, verse 11. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they had supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. That's what the disciples thought. They thought, we're going to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to kick out the Roman rule and we're going to take over. He's our king. That's what they thought. He says in verse 12, He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minyas and said to them, gave a certain amount, engage in business until I come. So they were to make some form of investment. But his citizens hated him. <laughs> Interesting. And sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has, uh, has had ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came and said, Lord, your uh, minya has five minyas." And he said to him, you, uh, and, and you are to be over five cities. And then another one came and said, here is your minya, which I laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put my money? Why did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the uh, minion from the man and give it to the one who has 10 minions. And they said to him, Lord, He has ten minions. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want to what? Me to reign over them. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow. Sobering story. Kind of brings home the whole idea of being responsible with our leadership with what is being entrusted to us whether it's in a business whether it's in a husband in a family whether it's in a church but one day we're going to rule with christ i mean can you imagine just you know just right right alongside it's amazing well the fourth thing here and this is probably one of the most profound things is we're going to be like christ One of the most promised blessings, which means a great deal to us, should as believers, is that we will be made like Jesus himself, the Bible says. John writes about this in his first letter, using language similar to what Paul writes here in... Uh, Romans In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, he says, Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. For we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine a greater inheritance than to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ in all his attributes and everything that he possesses that's amazing Christ likeness is an incredible thing and one day in our glorified state that's what the bible promises well there's one other thing here that is probably the 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 apex of our inheritance and that is that we inherit god himself if you look back at romans i mean that's kind of a incredible thing to understand that we're going to inherit God how, how does that what does that mean he says there in verse 16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs and heirs of God fellow heirs with Christ the Lord our portion in view of this last you know four things when you talk about inheriting God himself you think you're an heir of God I mean, adoption is an incredible thing when you think about that's what it results in. When you look around and you see people that have been adopted off the street or out of the country or whatever it might be, it's usually children who've had no family to provide for their needs, no mom or dad to take care of them. A lot of them are malnourished, or are sick because they don't have any insurance to get the proper health care. They have little instruction going on. And here's someone, a family, that is able to adopts them in. And begins to provide nourishment and education and care and concern. Well, th- that's the picture of us who have been adopted into God's family. We were spiritually dirty. We were diseased, right? We were impoverished um, beyond our wildest imaginations. And we had no one else to care for us, the Bible says. We were in deliberate You might say rebellion against God. But one day he showed up and he chose to love us. He chose to clean us up, to remove our rags. He clothed us in the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He fed us with the nourishing, the nourishment that comes from God's word. And he guides us through the power of his spirit in paths of righteousness and wisdom each and every day. He brought us literally into his family, the Bible says. And now we have brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that we can share our burdens with. We're not by ourselves. We're not alone. See, that's one thing that's very harmful to any church is a lack of transparency. You know, the one thing that I never would want our congregation to become is a congregation where there's no transparency, where everybody just comes and pastes their little happy Jesus smile on every sunday how you doing oh fine how you doing you know and you do your little thing and then you go home back to your depressive state of being whatever that might be with all the cares and concerns of the world raining down upon you without ever thinking that you might be able to relate to another brother or sister in Christ some of the burdens that you're carrying and they could actually help you through that time because maybe they walked In those same shoes. As you are now walking. If we were only humble enough to admit. The situation in which we find ourselves. How God would rain down upon us. I have no doubt. The blessings of heaven. And they would come through the brothers and sisters. Within the body of Christ. That's what church. That's what any congregation should be about. And so he made us. Part of this family where we have brothers and sisters in Christ that care for us. He made us his heirs so that throughout eternity we will enjoy these unfathomable riches of Christ that are promised to us. There is one truth that kind of raises its ugly face here. Question If we're God's beloved children, then why does He allow us to suffer? You ever hear that? I mean, I don't know about you, but as a parent, as an earthly parent, and as a grandparent, even more so, uh, I do everything that I can to protect my kids and my grandkids from suffering. If it's within my power, I'll do it. And you know what? They know that too, by the way. <laughs> so sometimes they take advantage of that. But for the most part, you know, you, you, you want to bless your grandkids. You want to bless your kids. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional. And if God is an all-powerful and all-loving father... You've got to stop it. You've got to say, why doesn't he do that for us? <laughs> why doesn't he alleviate all this pain and suffering we go through down here on earth? Now, there's a lot of books. You can go into any bookstore, a Christian bookstore, and read a plethora of books on this subject. But here, Paul, through the rest of the chapter, shows that, you know what? Suffering in life has a purpose. It has a plan. It's actually for our benefit. and shows that Paul... Through the rest of the chapter shows us that our suffering is not at odds as we would think with God's love for us and for His children. It's not. It's very much in alignment with it, and that's hard for us logically to get at first because suffering is nothing that you know we all want to go through. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and I wonder how I'm going to suffer today for Jesus. I can't wait. You know, I, that's far from my heart. You know, I'm looking for God's blessing. I'm looking for kind of an easy road through the day. I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to. But the one thing I understand spiritually is when the suffering comes, when the trials come and the tribulations hit, you know what? I have a Savior that has already endured a lot more suffering than I have. And that he's willing to walk with me and beside me through these times of hardship. Just as our Savior had to suffer first and then enter glory, that's what he did, so too is our path. It goes through the valley of suffering. And so we need to really remind ourselves of that. In, in Romans eight seventeen, our text for this morning is really a transitional verse almost. It sums up what Paul has been saying, and yet it introduces what he's going to say, Um. Spurgeon describes Paul's style here as building a sort of Jacob's ladder that takes us up from one step to the next. And here's how Spurgeon describes it. He says, first of all, in verse 14, chapter 8, Romans, he says that all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And we saw that in the context when we studied that. That It's, it's important that the, the Spirit is leading us and guiding us Uh, life choices and to kill our sin to die daily to the sin that we know resides within our hearts and if the holy spirit is prompting us and enabling us to fight against the sin that we see it's evidence that you should assure yourself that you are a child of god and then he says the next step up the ladder is that you are a child of god and if you are a child of god then you are an heir And then he goes higher. He says, if you are an heir of God himself and a joint heir with Christ, the utmost rung on the ladder is that we will one day be glorified with him. We will stand in his presence in a glorified state. And Spurgeon kind of applies this by saying that every grace we receive should lead us to seek after something still higher. Don't ever think that you have arrived. Don't ever grow complacent in your spiritual life. We should always seek to be filled more and more and more with the fullness of God and the fullness of his spirit and to grow more and more in Christ likeness. Now that was all introduction. So now we're going to move along rather quickly. So kind of hold on. I'm convinced here that Paul does not want us to just think about these things. He's not just giving us information. He's not just saying, here's some nice little thoughts for you to dwell on. Um, You walk away going, well, that was interesting. I think he wants us to feel down in our gut, in our heart, emotionally, this wonderful grace and the love of being adopted by God into his family and all the glorious riches that God has stored up for us in the future in spite of some of the the everyday, present-day sufferings that we have to go through.
0: Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650 650- 366 9923 We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.